Our reading for the fifth day of Christmas is from Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-control, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sometimes gifts at Christmas time can be a distraction. They can take our focus off of what's important. They can make us think about material things. They can turn us into consumers. Sometimes gifts can lead us astray. But that doesn't always have to be the case. And in fact, I think that there is something very valuable in giving gifts at Christmas that is directly related to the gospel. That is, in giving a gift, we see something. We see a glimpse of grace. Something given for someone else's sake out of love. That's what gifts signify. Now, there are all kinds of reasons that we give gifts. Sometimes it's out of a sense of obligation. So you got something for everybody else and you have to get someone for that last person as well. Sometimes it's out of a sense of gratitude. I'm thankful for who you are. And so I'm giving you something to show you how much I love you. Or there is simply that, just love. You love your children, you love your parents, you love your family, and so you give them gifts as a sign, just a sign of your love. But there is something a little bit deficient. As helpful as it is to receive and give gifts as a picture of grace, there's something a little bit deficient because in every gift that we give, there's always some sense that there's a reason for it, that there's a reason in the other person that they deserve it. Maybe not completely, maybe not entirely, but there's a reason that we're giving a gift to this person and not to someone else. So in those whom we love, it's because they are lovable. It's because we find something delightful about them. That's why we give them gifts. And so even our gift giving, which is gracious and full of love, even that comes up short. And it should be no wonder. It comes up short in comparison with God's grace and the way that he gives gifts. So think about it this way. We give gifts to lots of people in our lives with whom we have relationships, for better or for worse. But God gives gifts to the people of this world, to humanity, with whom he has no relationship to begin with. That is to say, he gives gifts to people who are his enemies. Not just people who he has something to do with, acquaintances or family or friends, but to people who are his enemies. So imagine this. Imagine at Christmas time, if instead of giving gifts to your family and friends whom you love, you went and found somebody who hates your guts, who would kill you if they had the chance, and you gave a gift to that person. And not just any gift, but a priceless gift. A gift that means you can't give a gift to anyone else. A gift that takes all of you, everything that you've got. It's that kind of a gift that God gives to fallen, sinful humanity. And that really is what grace looks like. It's really hard for us to wrap our heads around grace, the idea of undeserved love, because we are 
As fallen humans, we are so bent on thinking about what we deserve and what others deserve. But grace is purely undeserved. There is nothing in us, nothing in us lovable, nothing in us that deserves what God gives us. And that's why Christmas is, again, so marvelous. What Paul writes to Titus here is all about God's grace, which has now appeared. So the greatest gift of all is, of course, Jesus the very Son of God, God's most treasured possession given to his enemies, handed over to those who would betray and slander and murder him, handed over to you and I, who would have nothing to do with Jesus apart from God's grace, who wouldn't on our own come to him. That's what grace looks like. So the grace of God has appeared, but it's important to see how this grace works or what it is for. So Paul goes on. He says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And when we think about salvation, I think we instinctively begin by thinking about salvation from death and from hell, which is, of course, a glorious result. That because Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, the grave can hold no power over you and I. The grave can't hold us anymore. Because we have been saved from the consequences of our fallen human nature. We've been saved from the consequences of sin, from death and from hell. But just like any treatment for a disease is not just about dealing with symptoms, but also about dealing with the problem itself, the sickness itself. God's salvation is not just from death and hell, but from sin itself. This is why the grace of God, which brings salvation, as Paul writes to Titus, trains us to renounce godlessness, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So God trains us by this salvation, by this grace, by the message of his son. He teaches us to put away sin and to hold fast to righteousness. Not just to be done with death and hell, but to live a new life that is not bent on wickedness. A new life that is instead full of righteousness. Now, this is something that is often overlooked in the Christian faith. It's often, it's commonly the idea that being a Christian is just about avoiding hell. Like, it's like playing Monopoly and get out, getting a get-out-of-jail-free kind of a card, right? So if you are a Christian, okay, then you don't have to worry about death or hell anymore. But that's not what Christianity is all about. That's not what the faith is about, but it is about putting away sin. So when God gives us this gift, this gift of his grace, the gift of his son, the really important question is, are we going to put that gift to use? Or would that gift be spent on us in vain? So you can imagine a kind of a gift which might be given to a person. Uh, imagine you gave money to somebody for Christmas. You gave them a wad of cash. There's all kinds of things they could do with that money. They could do evil, wicked things with that. They could do good things with that. Or they could just stick it under their mattress. And in fact, sticking it under their mattress is perhaps the worst thing that they could do with it. Because there it lies, not accomplishing anything. It's not useful for anything. It's not being put to good. It's being neglected. And so that gift is not worth anything at all. That's what happens if we regard God's grace as something that just sort of sits inside of us, something that we just accumulate. And there it sits, lying in a heap, as opposed to being put to use, renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions, instead living a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. That's what God's grace is for. Of course, it saves us from death and hell, but it also teaches us a new way to live. And that may seem really obvious, and 
it may seem, in fact does seem to many people, to be a very simple thing. In the eyes of the world, in the eyes of many Christians, being a good person, living a godly life, is easy. It seems to be an easy and simple thing. But the point is that we need God's grace to accomplish that. That is to say, anyone who thinks that it's easy to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, anyone who thinks that it's easy to live a self-controlled and upright and godly life simply has never tried. Because in living a godly life, you are up against everything. The devil, the world, and your own sinful nature. You're up against the strongest and best and most powerful forces in this world, aside from God himself. So it is not an easy task. We need God's grace to accomplish it. That's why the word that's used to describe what's happening when we live these new lives as Christians is training, it's discipline, it's instruction. It involves setting aside old things and taking up new things. It involves suffering. It involves trial. It involves affliction. It involves effort. That's what God is teaching us by his grace, something we could never accomplish on our own. And he's teaching us to renounce something. That word is really, really important. It's the same word that's used to describe what Peter did when he denied Jesus. Okay, so think about what's going on when God teaches us to live new lives. We're saying to our old lives, to our sin and to our wickedness and our ungodliness, we're saying, no more, I'm done with you. Which is like saying to a slave master, I'm not going to work for you anymore. That's not an easy thing to do. Because, of course, any slave master who hears that is going to be angry and is going to make an attack and is going to try to regain the power that he had over you. That's what's happening when God gives us his grace. We're changing masters. We're going from slaves to sin to slaves to Christ. And for that reason, we need all of God's grace. We need every last bit that he can give us. Now, the good news for you and for me and for every Christian is that God is not stingy with his gifts. He's not looking at his bank account wondering how much he can give, but he is pouring it all out endlessly endlessly for you and for me, giving us exactly what we need and more, not only to be free from death and hell, but also to live holy and God-pleasing lives now. So that's the task for Christians, to put their trust in God, not just in freedom from the things that we fear, but also putting our trust in God to help us lead holy lives. It's a gift that he gives us. It's how he wants us to live, and it's the way he wants us to put those gifts to use. So be earnest and zealous. Be people set apart by God for his own possession, zealous for good works. That's what his grace is for. And by his love, by his spirit, he will certainly accomplish it in you. Keep up the good work and rejoice that Christ has come to do such wonderful things through you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please rise as we sing our canticle.